powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. Today on the program, we're going to be visiting with my good friend, Dr. Tony Lupo from the University of Missouri. He is a professor of atmospheric sciences. And guess what we're going to talk about today? The weather. We've had some quirky weather. It's a little bit warmer winter and uh, sometimes a very wet spring here in mid-Missouri. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what to expect for the rest of 2020 for the whole United States and what's in store for us weather-wise over the next few years. And we're also going to uh, dive into climate change with Dr. Lupo. That's all coming up. I'm also going to have another key area of life for elite performers. I'm going to chat about your health. That's all coming up specifically in the areas of stress and anger. All today on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru A Lot to Love event going on now. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2020 Subaru Forester. The SUV for all you love. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. A spacious and comfortable interior. The best SUV for all you do. Join us for the Subaru A Lot to Love event going on now. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, excited to welcome Dr. Anthony R. Lupo. He is currently a professor of atmospheric sciences in the Atmospheric Science Program, University of Missouri here in Columbia. He earned his BS in meteorology from the State University of New York at Oswego in 1988 and his MS and PhD degrees from Purdue in 91 and 95, respectively. His research has been in the areas of large-scale atmospheric dynamics, climate dynamics, tropical meteorology, and climate change, including modeling, and he has more than 125 peer-reviewed publications in all of these areas. Additionally, he edited and contributed to two books on hurricanes, including recent hurricane research, climate dynamics, and societal impacts, which was published in 2011, and was the lead guest editor of the publication Advances in Meteorology, Special Issue, Large-Scale Dynamics, uh, Anomalous Flows, and Teleconnections. Those were published in 14, 15, and 18. And he's been a member of the American Meteorological Society since 1987, uh, certified consulting meteorologist number 660 and the National Weather Association since 1998. He was a Fulbright scholar for the first time during the summer of 2004 to Russia, studying atmospheric blocking at the Russian Academy of Sciences in Moscow. He's also served as an IPCC, sponsored by the United Nations World Meteorological Organization. Special Report 15 in 2018. His other professional associations are wide and varied. And uh, I'm going to just jump straight to let him tell us more and more about himself. But Dr. Lupo, welcome to our program today. Well, thank you. And I'm glad to be here today. And I think this will be a fun 
uh, discussion, whether it's something that everybody likes to talk about. Yeah, and I, I, I can't remember exactly where we met for the first time. Um, I, I think it might have been at a Christian men's conference or something. I can't remember uh, if it was that or something else, but I remember hearing you speak about uh, the weather, and I thought, I, uh, I I think I reached out to you and became Facebook friends with you, and I'm like, this is a this is an interesting guy who's very knowledgeable, and of course, just all those accolades I read there. You have a wide and varied background and a lot of accomplishments where uh, meteorology is concerned. Well, thank you. It's a it's a topic that I've been passionate about since I've been eight years old, and uh, to 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 have a job like I do where I can study the weather, you know, I I feel like I this is something I could do without being paid, and yeah. I'd be happy. Well, you know, they say if you really enjoy your work, you don't really work, right? That's that's very true. Whoever said that was very wise. So, what what do you think it was? Where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in upstate New York uh, in a town called Auburn, which is right in the Finger Lakes. Oh, I see. And so what what was it, do you think, that sparked that interest at eight years old? Well, that was a, the year of the large tornado outbreak in the uh, Midwest. Uh, this was 1974, I believe, uh-huh. and there was about 148 tornadoes in early April, and it made national news. And to this day, it's one of the biggest tornado outbreaks that the country's ever seen. Yes. And, uh, of course, uh, the thunderstorms uh, that were associated with that event rolled through New York. And I was very curious about how thunderstorms worked and how the weather worked. And that got me going. Well, I was a kid uh, growing up in the Midwest in 1974, and I remember it well. That is one that folks our age do remember. (laughs) You bet. You bet. So uh, one of the interesting things that I noticed in your bio, and uh, we didn't read it all or cover it all. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of it, but you studied in Moscow. How'd that come about? Well, it came about a little bit by accident. Uh, When I was at Purdue, um, one of our professors had a friend at the University of Illinois who had invited a young scientist from Russia to visit. And uh, this young scientist from Russia came to give a talk at uh, Purdue. And my professor said he needed a ride back to uh, Champaign-Urbana, and he picked me to give him a ride. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) And it was something that I didn't want to do. You know, I don't want to bring somebody back 100 miles to... Uh, from Purdue to Champaign-Urbana, and, and I told my professor, you just don't want to do it. And yeah, he says, yeah. well, you never know where opportunities going to come from. And in talking with this young scientist, I found out we were both interested in blocking. Oh, wow. And so tell me about blocking. What's that? Yeah, blocking is a stationary anticyclone in the jet stream, and they last for about 8 to 10 days. Oh, wow. And they occur more or less over the oceans, but their impact on Missouri is that with all the coldest times you can remember in the wintertime around here is usually going to be associated with blocking in the East Pacific uh, and over the Alaska region. And what they do is they push the Arctic air down into Canada and the USA. Wow. So somehow in this car ride with this young Russian scientist, you got uh, a, a trip to Moscow, right? Yes, I did. This was 1993, and of course we stayed in touch over the years, and he suggested that I come to study uh, in Russia for a summer, and uh, Fulbright had opportunities to do that, and uh, I won one of those in 2004. So what was that like? Moscow was a a different place. (laughs) It really... um, you know what uh, it was like stepping back into my childhood in a lot of ways because i had an apartment there and i had a television that had maybe a few channels mm-hmm. there was a washer in the in the apartment and you hung up your clothes to dry and so in a lot of ways it was like stepping back into the 80s uh, but i found that people were very friendly there and willing to help me out and uh, get me around um, 
ethnically, I'm part Russian and Ukrainian, so it was like going home in a way. Oh, wow. <laughs> or yeah. going back to lands of my roots. Well, uh, you certainly were curious, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I found out that my great-grandfather was born in the Moscow region, so it was kind of a neat thing to neat thing to learn. So, you know, a lot of the executives that I coach are in the agriculture industry, and uh, agriculture and weather are very closely aligned and uh, linked together. And so here in mid-Missouri, um, and I, and I don't want to, uh, you, you can help me and educate me, but it seems like we've had a, a warmer winter than what we normally have. Is that how you would assess it? Yes, we have. Uh, it's been about, well, as of now, about three degrees above the normal. But what's unusual about this winter is the amount of precipitation we've had, and a lot of that has been snow. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the number of years where the temperature's above normal, and we have normal or above normal snow, there's only about two handfuls of those kind of years in the record. So, so it's been a little bit unusual this year. This would be my uh, uh, going on 21st year of living in uh, central Missouri. And uh, in that time period, we've had a couple of 20-something uh, inch snows. And we've had a couple of pretty, uh, at least what I consider to be heavy ice storms. Uh, but we didn't really have much of that this year. Like you said, even though we had snow, it didn't hang around long because the temperature fluctuated so much. Oh, that's that's right. I mean, the, if we remember, the snow season got started on October 31st. Yeah. And it was the biggest snow we had in October in 54 years. And then, and then of course, we've been getting these small ones all along. And during February, it's almost been every Wednesday. And uh, they come and they go just as fast as they come. So... I'm sure that you, you know, study these models all the time, but primarily here in mid-Missouri. So what do we have to look forward to? Uh, what's the rest of 2020 going to be like as we get into the spring and summer? Can you prognosticate on that at all? Or Yeah, with the, with the spring, I think we're looking at, of course, that's our rainy time anyway. And so even if it's normal precipitation, a lot of areas in the Midwest and to our north are quite wet. And, of course, with any kind of snow melt and any kind of uh, precipitation that's close to normal, we may see some flooding again this spring and early summer. Well, we never really had a hard freeze, did we? I'm no, we, we really didn't have a, a lot of days where it went below 10 degrees. And for that reason, I think uh, we didn't kill off as many pests as we probably would like. So can you forecast so, out into the summer? I mean, is it going to be a warm or hot? or? Summer is our trickiest one to forecast because that's when the El Nino signal gets weak, which dominates our weather. And right now it's looking like we'll probably have a summer that's not much different than last summer where it was just a little bit warmer than normal, just humid and... Uh, but not uh, unbearable but at not all. Un not unbearable. Yeah. yeah. And, and so is this a trend? Because uh, I don't think we've had any really rough winters in a few years. And, um, you know, the summers haven't really been... I mean, we had a drought a couple of years ago, but... Is that something that's going to continue for a while, or? I, I would think so. Um, we've been in the we've been in a pattern that's been a little unusual since Thanksgiving. Uh, at about Thanksgiving, the jet stream kind of flattened out, and what I mean by that is it's more or less going west to east uh, around the entire. Uh, mid-latitude northern hemisphere and for that reason there hasn't been a lot of extreme weather it's just been very constant and we get these systems that go through every almost every regularly every week and um, you know I, I, I see that continuing into the spring and early summer right now. You know, um, anytime we get a warmer winter or a cooler summer 
you know, it's, weather is a popular topic of conversation among people. But anytime we get something that's a little bit different, it reinforces people's thoughts about, well, this must be that climate change that everybody talks about, right? <laughs> and so, so educate us on that. Help us understand, is that really what we're experiencing or is it that we just have a limited view of the weather in our lifetime and we don't see the whole panoramic um how do you think about that i think the answer to both of those questions is yes if you remember we've we've only got about 120 years worth of records for this part of the world and if we look at climate, climate is something that's not static. It's been changing since the Earth had an atmosphere. And, of course, with climate change, it depends on the scale, the time scale that you want to look at as to how those changes take place. And um, we've got, we've got uh, phenomenon in our Earth atmosphere system that change the weather on 20 and 40 year time scales on 100 year time scales and so i think we're seeing some of that um of course the uh, the political um gorilla in the room is the role of humans and carbon dioxide is right. playing in this and quite honestly i don't think anybody could tell you right now how much of climate change is due to changes in carbon dioxide that humans have made. We can only say that there's probably some effect, and what that percentage is uh, is unknowable. But but we do know that uh, climate has changed forever, and of course, we saw that in the early part of the 20th century, and then things got warmer again till about 1940 climate leveled out maybe went down a little bit till 1970 and since then things have been warming again and uh, you know it's just part of the ebb and flow of climate so so i mean i am not going to and our listeners are not going to just run into someone on the street every day who has your qualifications experience and knowledge so i i want to really take advantage of the time that we have here so are you saying that climate is going to ebb and flow on its own no matter what we do? That's precisely right. It, it will ebb and flow no matter what we do. And to play devil's advocate, if we are having an influence, even if we are driving temperatures up, uh, let's say, there'll still be ebbs and flows on top of that that are caused by a natural phenomenon. And so there's a certain amount of things that we can't change in terms of climate. And then when you get into the political realm, uh, you can you can uh, uh, you can go in a lot of directions with that. But sure. a lot of people feel that uh, we ought to be doing things about climate. And uh, and of course we should. The human species has adapted to climate. Uh, for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. And of course, we've survived. And today we have more technology than any society in the past. And so, of course, we should uh, adapt to our surroundings. But as to um, our ability to change climate, uh, that's still unknown and and not knowable. Mm -hmm. So what are there things that could be done uh to enhance or or help it along i mean is, is take the other side of the argument a little bit and and tell me a little bit about what what are the primary keys that people who who advocate that we do need to be doing stuff where do they get that belief where does that come from well um i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure where that comes from but I, I could use one easy example, sure, and, that's, yeah. and that's our infrastructure for storm uh, runoff. And a lot of our infrastructure for that was built in the early part of the 20th century. And, of course, the early part of the 20th century was a, a relatively calm period in terms of precipitation and precipitation variations 
from year to year. And if you look at the last 10 to 20 years, we've seen precipitation be more feast, what I call feast and famine, Mm. where we get very wet periods and we get very dry periods. But nonetheless, the amount of precipitation we're getting is getting higher. And that and uh, that's uh, occasionally overwhelming our uh, our infrastructure's ability to deal with the stormwater. Well, there is some evidence. There is some evidence that the middle part of the 1800s was very similar. Uh, that we can go back in the records and find years in St. Louis where they got close to 70 inches of precipitation in a year. And so, are we? Are we kind of going back to that here in the 21st century, or is this a symptom of climate change? But uh, whether it is or not, we might be able to uh, uh, revise our our uh, storm runoff. It may need to be changed to to meet a greater demand for uh, water runoff. So, in the science end of of your expertise. Um, is it, is it correct thinking that you just have to take every period of time in its own context that you can't, it isn't, uh, probably isn't prudent to compare time frames with each other because each time frame has its own unique weather. Um, and, 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 and so it, it's, it's almost like not, feasible to compare say the valley forge with what happens in the last 10 years in valley forge uh i've talked about like in the 1700s when george washington had his army encamped there it was a pretty rough winter oh right right yeah and then so valley forge in the last 10 winters may not compare to that at all oh right right and of course if you look at the winter's during that time period, we, we were in a period of what uh, climatologists call the Little Ice Age. And, of course, globally, temperatures were a bit cooler. And as a consequence, winters were harsher. Um, how that, how the uh, patterns of those days uh, compare to these days is difficult to know because we only had surface data in those days and what data we had is limited and so it would be very difficult to know if the uh, the actual weather patterns are similar but we do know what the climate was like from the uh, from the paintings of the day from George Washington's writings uh, from other people's writings and tree rings and so we can get a sense of what it was like and uh, and do some comparison, but the comparisons will never be perfect. It, it seems so. like to me too, and and I don't know, but uh, any any kind of situation kind of triggers a guilt complex with human beings. It seems like um, I know back. I've read extensive uh, writings about the great earthquakes in New Madrid in 1812 and 1813. And the humans who lived at that time really thought they had done something very wrong because they had never experienced anything as severe as those earthquakes, uh, which in some writings say that the Mississippi River actually ran backward. Uh, And so the people were really uh, upset at themselves because they thought, gee, we must really be be not living correctly because all these bad things are happening <laughs> so do you think humans just have that sort of internal thing that goes off where it's like we must have caused this somehow yeah yeah absolutely we tend to think of ourselves as the the center of the universe and uh, that everything revolves around us in mm. a way i mean uh, of course, uh, before uh, Galileo and folks like that, that was the literal view of sure. how the solar system looked and how the universe looked. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, um, you know, a lot of us have the belief that, that God created the universe and God, uh, contr- you know, he's, he's in, in control, control of nature. Yeah. 
but but occasionally we will think, oh, what did we do to upset him? <laughs> yeah, you're right, right, yeah. And, well, I, 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 you know, I heard people say that when, uh, you know, 27 years ago when the Mississippi was really flooding and, you know, it's uh, people in the Mississippi River Valley thought, holy cow, we we've really upset someone here, you know, because <laughs> we've never seen this much flooding, you know, I mean, it was terrible. Right. And, and of course we just have to realize that in terms of geologic time and, and, uh, nature's time, we're here a very short time. Right. And, uh, so we haven't seen the range of what's possible. Uh, we, we have to remember that 20,000 years ago where we're sitting, it was either under a glacier or very near one. And so, uh, and so uh, again, our lifetimes are very short. Our perspective tends to be very short. Do you have people that like to debate you about the climate change subject? Oh yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I I tend to be branded as a so-called skeptic for my viewpoint, and and of course uh, to to be not branded a skeptic, you've got to believe that humans are the primary cause of what's happening today. How do you see yourself? I just see myself as a prudent scientist, you know, as a, as a scientist, we should always be skeptical. Uh, of course, uh, like we were talking about earlier, many years ago, we thought that the, the sun went around the earth, but now we know better. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, the flat earth people, would always say I can walk a hundred miles in any direction and it's still flat. And so, it's still flat. So the exactly. earth must be flat, right? <laughs> right. Right. Which and today so, we think that's crazy, you know, but exactly. but before they had uh space photos, uh, that logic seemed to make sense. It did. It did. And and of course, um you know, I, I think that to go along with the idea that people have to think have a guilt complex over maybe we cause something we also tend to want to have something to worry about and of course when we were growing up that was world war three right yeah and nuclear holocaust and i think uh, climate change might be a little little bit of that yeah so uh in the last little bit of time we have together uh, when someone's debating you about climate change, what are the two or three main points they usually cite? Well, they'll talk about the fact that uh, we have observed temperatures going up and carbon dioxide's going up. And a, a great number of uh, scientists say that uh, humans are the primary contribution. Uh, they'll talk about the IPCC. And uh, the 97 percent, of course, that 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 say that humans are primarily responsible. Uh, that's a bogus number, by the way, but uh, that's a di- different story. Yeah. But uh, but those are the points they usually come up with. And then your points typically are. Uh, my points are we have to take a look at the long period of record and see that climate is changing and it's always been changing and that what we're experiencing today in terms of the rate of change is similar to what happened in the early part of the 20th century. And so it's very difficult to, um, to, to tease out the amount that humans contribute versus what nature contributes. Uh, so that, that's usually my main point and that, uh, and that the models are overdoing it when it comes to projecting what may happen into the future. Uh, we see that the models are consistently over project the warmth. Well, I just want to talk about a couple more of these awards that uh, you've, you've uh, been awarded most distinguished scientific achievement award by the Missouri Academy of science in 09, the university of Missouri professor of the year uh, in 2010, you were awarded the uh, Kemper Foundation Award for Excellence in Teaching. And so you have been highly decorated. And what's it like to be so accomplished in a particular field? Humbling. Yeah, it, It's humbling because in order to get nominated for anything, 
people have to notice what you're doing and they've they've got to actually like you i mean you you typically don't nominate people you don't like or you know that you don't uh that you don't uh hang hang around with (laughs) yeah or you that you don't think know what they're talking about or that and so you know i just try to do uh, do my job every day to the best of my ability and people notice and they nominate me and it's always humbling because uh uh, you know, it's always amazing to think that somebody thinks that much of you. So uh, last thing is, what what should I have asked you that I haven't asked you? Uh, I think we've had a pretty thorough uh, run at things, okay. although um, if, I, if I were to uh, give you one more bit of uh, tidbit of information, sure. uh, probably that, uh, uh, again, I look for this summer to be close to what we had last summer and and that uh, ended up being okay in terms of our agriculture around the state and uh, i think that uh, i think that the news is not all that bad when it comes to weather and climate so it should be a nice summer then it should be yeah it should be if you like the warm weather We've been visiting with Dr. Anthony Lupo. He's the professor of atmospheric sciences in the atmospheric science program, University of Missouri. And I got a standard list of closing questions. I ask everybody comes on the show. So I'll just shoot these to you in rapid fire. And first thing comes to mind. Okay. Uh, What is the best memory that comes to mind for you? The best memory that comes to mind for me is the, the great snows of 1979. Boy, my grandfather and my father were sick with pneumonia that whole winter. Really? Yeah, oh, and no. I was 15, I think. Um, so I remember the 78, 79 winters uh, very well. Yeah, I've been thinking about them a lot lately because uh, those storm events, I remember I was in my driveway shoveling snow for my mom and pop, and then uh, 10 years later, I'm studying them for my master's degree. So. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> Who's the number one hero in your life? Uh, aside from uh, Christ himself, uh, I I look up a lot to Reagan. Okay, great. Now, what's the top value you subscribe to? Um, mercy and and justice i those are two things i value quite a bit who's the most important person in your life my wife and her name is allison what does she do she is a cook at columbia catholic oh right on what's your favorite thing my favorite thing is uh reading good best book you've read lately the best book I've read lately was uh, A Pope and a President, uh, Ronald Reagan and St. John Paul. Oh, that sounds great. What's your favorite food? Uh, without a doubt, it is pizza and wings. <laughs> what kind of pizza? I like uh, I like a meat pizza uh, with en- enough veggies and anchovies. All right. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Um... That would have to be up in Montreal area and just outside there, the the mountains areas. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Hard work. Oh, that's two words. Sorry. That's all right. Diligence, maybe. (laughs) Diligence. Yeah. What, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I want to be remembered for being persistent and persevering. (laughs) So if you could go back and have a discussion with a younger Anthony, uh, what would be your advice for a younger you? Just work hard, be patient. Um, nothing in life comes easy. Uh, everything that's worth getting takes work. And, uh, you know, it, it, it will come. Work, hard work is never not rewarded. And if someone ever asks you to take somebody uh, from one city to another, you should probably do it, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite sound? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. That's a tough one because I love just listening to music of all sorts in the morning. Uh-huh. So, what did you listen to this morning? Well, this morning I was listening to uh, select songs from the 80s that I have on my iPhone. I got you. All right. Yeah. So it's easy to make playlists today. Um, and finally, what's the best lesson you think you've learned? 
a good lesson in life that I have learned is is that you don't have to have everything right away. Boy, that's good. That's good. Dr. Anthony Lupo with the uh, University of Missouri and the Atmospheric Science Program. I appreciate you, Tony, doing this. So thank you so much. Oh, no trouble. No trouble. I enjoy talking about the weather. I could talk about it all afternoon. Yeah, thank, thank you for the education. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'll have uh, more on Better Than Before right after this. The 2020 Subaru Forester. The SUV for all you love. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. A spacious and comfortable interior. The best SUV for all you do. Join us for the Subaru A Lot to Love event going on now. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Over the last several episodes of Better Than Before, we've been talking about key areas of life for elite level performers. And last week on the program, we talked about how to strengthen your inner life, which is the number one key. Today, we're going to focus on number two, which is your health. And I'm going to dive deep into two areas that uh, over the years of coaching performers, I have seen hinder them more than other areas of health-wise. And one of those is stress, and the other one is anger. And a lot of times, those two go hand in hand. Let's start with stress. Stress comes from inside your own thinking and inside your own emotions. Stress is produced by the feeling and thought you attach to certain situations. So in other words, if traffic lights that always seem to not go your way stresses you out, it's actually not the traffic light that stresses you out. It's how you think about the traffic light that stresses you out. Your thinking and the meaning that you've attached to that situation is where your stress is coming from, which is a large relief because guess what? You can't control traffic. You can't control traffic lights. You can't control traffic and traffic light situations. What you can control, however, is the way you think about the situation and the way you feel about the situation. Your thinking is changeable and your feelings are changeable. So once you pinpoint where the stress is actually coming from inside you, you regain control over stress. So I've got four keys here to stress that may help you. And of course, the, the stress will kill you. I mean, uh, stress causes very harmful chemicals to be released into your bloodstream and into your system. You definitely don't want that. It puts age on you and your appearance. It wears you out. And once all these chemicals are released, a lot of times it's adrenaline, and you have an adrenaline rush, then all of a sudden you are absolutely crashing and worn out after the situation because it's all hit you in a burst at one time. So then the tiredness and fatigue will all hit you uh, all at one time. You'll have that uh, emotional hangover, I like to call it, afterwards. So here's key number one where stress is concerned. You need to always ask yourself, will this situation really matter to me a year from now? I mean, you're driving down Providence uh, Road, let's say, and the traffic light changes and it stalls you in place in traffic for what, three to five minutes maybe? 
are those three to five minutes of stress and being upset and having those chemicals released in your body, is it really worth it? Are those three to five minutes, are you really going to remember that even a month from now or six months from now or a year from now? Is it really going to matter that much? Are you overemphasizing this situation? Like, are you, are you just overdoing it? Uh, so you need to ask yourself these questions when the situations arise because you begin to apply logic into this emotional situation and you begin to start thinking straight. And then you'll say, you know, I don't understand why I'm so upset about this. I should have left earlier or it's not really that consequential or it's really not going to matter to me 20 minutes from now, let alone a year from now. Number two, press the pause button for five minutes and maybe take a break or something. So this, now you wouldn't do this if you're in your car in traffic, but let's just say that something happens in the office that you've got a negative emotion or a hot button attached to it. And when the situation happens, it presses that hot button. And then all of a sudden here you are stressed again. What if you just hit pause on that situation for five minutes, you get up, you go outside, maybe you walk around if it's a nice day, or if you've got some room in your office space, you walk around, or maybe you get in your car and you drive to the mall, you walk around the mall for a few minutes, you do something physical with your body to counteract that mental sensation or feeling that you have, and then you come back and you get it back into your situation again. I guarantee you, removing yourself from it thinking about something else, hitting the pause button on that situation is going to help you tremendously. Number three, drink more water. I mean, everyone will tell you uh, from a scientific standpoint, I mean, if you think about it, our bodies are made up of 98% water or something like that. It's a very high percentage of water content in our flesh and bones. And so science confirms that drinking more water will improve your thinking and your brain functions. So one way to make sure that you stay out of stressful situations is that you need to drink more water. Uh, Put the ounces of water in there and stay away from the energy drinks and the caffeine so much because that just hypes up your physiology that much more. It hypes up your heartbeat and your bloodstream. It gets your heart beating faster than it should. I just think those energy drinks are really not good for you. And some people drink several of them a day. There's no, there's no wonder that you're all nervous and anxious and, and easy to get, you know, offended or easy to get irritated because you got all this stuff in you all, you know, drinking a big monster or something, and then you turn into a monster. So maybe you ought to limit that, try to get off of that stuff. I know it's probably not easy to do cold Turkey, but start reducing the amount of energy drink or reducing the amount of caffeine that you're taking in and increase the amount of water intake that you have. Key number four, you need to pour out whatever it is that's bugging you, whatever that you, whatever feelings, thoughts, or meanings that you've attached to certain situations, you need to clarify those in your journal. Like pour it all out. Just sit down and, and have your emotional outburst on a written piece of paper and just pour it all out there, right? So when you do that and, and you, you do that action of pouring it out and writing it all down or take out your phone and hit record and just let it happen onto your phone. Like what we tend to do is we tend to release all this onto another person. And we don't need to do that. We need to release it into our phone. We need to release it onto our journal. And then when you do that, it's going to help release all that, that worrisome uh, hold that's on you. And for some of you, you've been carrying around these thoughts and feelings for so long, they really have you in their grip. And the way to break that hold and to break that grip is to pour out your emotions and your feelings onto something safe 
that you can, you know, transfer it without hurting somebody. So don't do it to someone, do it to a piece of paper, do it to your journal, do it to a recorder or onto your phone. Number five, once you've done that, then now, once you've gotten most of that poisonous thinking and poisonous, emotionally charged uh, thoughts out you can now go back to being a little more reasonable and go find somebody you trust that you can tell anything to and then calmly begin to express yourself and why this situation bugs you so much. And you need to you then offload that then to somebody else. But only after you've done it, uh, taken all the juice out of it onto your journal or onto your phone. Now you can be reasonable when you talk about it to somebody and it does help to talk to someone and you'll feel better after you've released it again. But now you're in a little bit better place without all the emotion, without all the adrenaline, without all the energy, you can now release it to someone in a way where they can actually help you. And it won't be, you know, so personal and it won't be so, won't have so many jagged edges, right? So those are my tips on how to uh, deal with stress. Now let's talk about anger. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but anger is an emotion that we evoke as a tool to gain control. So a lot of times when we feel out of control, uh, we feel out of the driver's seat. It's like the situation is going on its own or the situation is being driven by another person. We think we can use anger subconsciously. Now, we, we, don't, we very rarely consciously think this, but subconsciously we think, I'll just use some anger on them and they'll be forced to submit to me or they'll be forced to get in line or they'll be forced to stop down. And so we use anger as a tool to gain control, right? Because we feel out of control. Think about it. When you're really upset and mad, the other person's thinking, wow, this person's really out of control. And they'd be right because you're using anger to try to get back in control. And it's absolutely the wrong way to do it. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset, but you need to do it in a way where it's controlled. You need to be able to express yourself. And I just gave you some keys on stress on how to do that, where you won't release that those angry feelings on someone as a tool to hurt someone, but you do need to get it out of your system. Even if you go out into a, a wooded area or you go out to a lake or you go out to a wide open space and you just release it out into the world. Um, but you're not doing it, you know, where someone can be hurt. You're doing it to, to get it out, right? It's like blowing up a balloon and then letting the balloon fly off. You're offloading it in a better way. But a lot of times what we do, we get mad and angry at people right there on the spot. And we try to gain, regain control of the situation by using it. And I got a story to share with you uh, today. There was once a young boy who often was angry. His father decided to give him a bag of nails one afternoon. And he told him, son, when you get angry, take one of these nails and simply nail it to the fence in our backyard. And you'll feel better by releasing your frustration. Well, after the first day, the young boy nailed 25 nails in the fence. But as the weeks went by, the young boy grew more aware of his anger and put fewer and fewer nails in the fence. Although he never denied the anger that was there in time, he found it easier to silently experience his anger and then release it rather than angrily nail the nails into the fence in the backyard. Finally, the day came when the young boy stopped losing his temper altogether. And on that day, his father said, son, now go to that fence and pull out a nail for each day that you didn't manage your anger and hold it in a responsible way. A day later, the boy went to the father and told him that each nail had been removed from the fence. The father then said, I am very proud of you, son. I'd like you to look at the holes that you made in the fence. When things are said in anger, irritation, or frustration, you can put a hole into someone just like you put a hole in that fence. Although you may retract your words and apologize, that scar can stay around for a long, long time. So you need to be kind, be compassionate, and care for all the people in your life. 
Life is a short journey and relationships are most important. So as you go through your work week this week, I want you to reflect on people that you work with and people that you're connected to. And you need to ask yourself, am I showing up at my very best? I am trying uh, my best to get to elite level performance. And that includes working with other people. And am I showing up at my best with all the people that are connected to me and are around me? And am I treating them with respect? And am I operating in a way with them that I would want somebody to treat me? So I got that thought for you this week as you go through your work and you go through your life. Well, that's our show today. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, little lesson on stress and this little lesson on anger because it is very connected to your health and it's very damaging not only to other people, but your stress and your anger can be very damaging to you and your physical being, your mental well-being, and your overall performance. Our show is brought to you by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru A Lot to Love event going on now. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Be sure and visit our website, www.clearvisiondevelopment.com for more of our resources and tools that you can use as an elite level performer. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and our chief producer, William Foster, I'm always Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.